Amen. And there's more. When we were uh, going to Lake Tahoe in February, uh, it's an eight-hour drive, and uh, we put in the Newsboys CD, and we listened to it for eight hours. Um, And that song just really stuck with me since February, and I knew that that had to be part of what uh, this sermon was going to be about, how to become a world changer how to become uh, an ordinary person that just goes kind of against the grain and does things that are a little bit special. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what Doug was talking about last week when he was saying to be strong and courageous. Listen to the voice of the Lord and do what he tells you to do. Just like Joshua did. He went in and conquered the land. God has something for you this morning. And I'm praying that as we go through this sermon, as we talk about what it means to be a world changer, that the Holy Spirit will give you a vision for what you need to do for what you can do. There's a very special plan that only you can answer and only you can do. Nobody else can do it, folks. It's up to you. You know, we all have our big dreams. One of the things about this song, uh, you know, I had these big dreams too. Uh, when I was pastoring the church out in Mariloma, got out of seminary and I was thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just turn that place upside down, you know. There's going to be thousands of people coming, right, Doug? That's why we go into that and people are just going to flock there. And, you know, I, it, it, we started out with about 60 people and ended up with 40. And so it, it, it didn't quite work out the way that I planned it to do. But along the way, God was helping me to see. I needed God to help me see those simple needs right here next to me. You know, uh, that's what our, our church logo is, right? Living, loving, loving God, loving people, changing the world. That's how you change the world. That's what that song was about. Loving God, loving people, and changing the world. Uh, it's not as hard as we think it might be. Changing the world is just being a Christian. It's normal Christian life, as Pastor Doug said last week. That's what everybody needs to be doing. We need to love God, love people, and change the world. And so I want to share with you some uh, four passages from Scripture that, that talk about how to do that, how to be that world changer, and, and some specifics about um, some ideas that, that you can take and maybe there's something that God is going to tell you today about what you can do. So if you open your Bibles, go to the book of 1 Timothy, verse, uh, uh, chapter 6, and starting with verse 17. And the first thing is that, that we need to do good to all because you know what? We are rich. We are rich. And that's what this verse is talking about, starting with verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Do we want to have life indeed? 
The way to do it is uh, to, to share, to spread that, the riches that we have, to give them away. We're rich in terms of this world. We're the wealthiest, I don't know, 5%, maybe even 1% of the world. No matter where you are, no matter what your income is in this room, whether you're on Social Security, whether you're on welfare, or whether you've got the best paying job, you are richer than 95% of the world's population. And as that, we have a responsibility to use those finances for God's glory. Amen? God has given us the ability to give to the church and to give above and beyond the church too. And, and that's part of what this is talking about, that we need to, to give our treasures away. Um, we went to a Christian music concert and there was, I think it was World Vision that, that had a speaker there that was talking about giving uh, to these uh, people in, in Africa, these orphans, and making them uh, part of your, your family. And for $35 a month, you can sponsor a child. And, and one of the things that he said is that we need to do for one that we would love to do for many. I know I, I look at the need and the need is so great. I can't do all of it, but I can do one. I can do one. And so we sponsor children. We, we, we make that a priority every month to write that check out and to give that away. That's part of what Christians should be doing. They should be giving their money away to those kinds of opportunities. Um, we can make a profound difference in that one life. It's like the little boy that's uh, walking along the shore and all these starfish are, are stranded on the beach and he picks one up and he throws it into the ocean. And the guy comes by and says, look at all these people, what, all these starfish. How can you do anything? He said, well, I made a difference in that life. And that's the way we can do it too. We can pick up one, whatever God lays in our, our pathway, we can do what God has called us to do. We need to be generous. We need to be giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. We need to be able to give. Amen? Let me share with you a, a guy named, um, what's his name? Jeff Gambin. He's a former restaurateur in Australia. And in 1993, he and his wife set up a group called Just Enough Faith. And uh, his vision was to feed the homeless. And so every year at Christmas time, they uh, put a thousand homeless people on a bus and transport them to the fanciest uh, hotel in, in the city. And they give them a sumptuous feast. You know, what, what's it? Prawns and mangoes, a salad of prawns and mangoes, traditional roast turkey and ham with stuffing and vegetables, and then Christmas pudding with a gourmet custard. And then they'll be treated to complimentary gifts and an evening of entertainment after that. And he has given away in the last nine years $2.5 million of his own money. And he's going to continue doing that. He said, I'm going to keep doing it until I exhaust all my resources. He's just going to continue doing it. Now, people have joined with him so that he can keep doing that too. But there are opportunities like that for you to give. There are homeless shelters here. There are places that we need to give to. The Riverside City Mission in, in Riverside, California is one of 
our partners, and we, we partner with them to, to feed the homeless people all during the year and at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas. But there are areas in your city where homeless people need to be touched. Amen? And maybe God is saying to you, maybe I can give a little. I can't do for everybody, but I can do one. I can do one. So we can become a world changer like Jeff Gambon. Or maybe <clears throat> uh, Tony Campolo. He was in a little uh, restaurant in a little cafe in Honolulu, and a prostitute came in. It was 3 a.m. in the morning. Prostitutes came in and they started taking stools around him. And one of the girls, Agnes, was lamenting the fact that tomorrow was her birthday and that she had never had a birthday party. 39 years old, never had a birthday party. Well, Tony heard that and he got together with the owner of the cafe, a guy named Harry, and found out that these girls come in every morning at 3.30 a.m., and so he went out and got a cake and balloons and streamers and he came back to the restaurant the next night, put it all up and made a surprise birthday party for Agnes. When Agnes walked in, she saw the streamers, balloons and Harry holding a birthday cake, everyone screaming, happy birthday to you. And she started crying. The tears just started pouring down her face. And Harry called on her to come and cut the cake. She said, uh, I'd never had a birthday cake before. And she wondered if she could take it home to show her mother first. And so she took the cake and went out to, to, to her mother's. And then she brought it back later. But while, they were gone, while she was gone, Tony did what any Christian minister should do. He led Harry, his wife, and a room full of prostitutes in prayer. Amen? Amen? And people came to the Lord that night because of a party for a prostitute. And they had a wonderful time. It was thrown by a Christian minister for that 39-year-old prostitute. And the cafe owner, um, it was so surprising, the cafe owner found it hard to believe that there were actually churches that would do this sort of thing. But if there were, that's the sort of church he'd like to be part of. Can we throw parties for prostitutes? Can we reach out to those that are in less need? Aren't we doing a yard sale in a few weeks? Next week, yeah. That's an opportunity to give back to the neighborhood, to give back to people that are homeless to, to do that. So, you know, bring in stuff. Give it away. That's part of your treasure that you have that we can do something with. Just like Tony Campolo, just like Jeff Gambon, we can become world changers by giving it away. Amen? Yeah. All right. Second passage. We need to do good in secret. Our motivation has to be the right reason. We need to be motivated properly to do the, the, the things that we're doing. And in Matthew chapter 6... There's a scripture that I want to read. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'll get there. There it is. And Jesus is talking and saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. 
So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done is secret, in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go to your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The newsboys were singing in that song, it's the prayer in an empty room that will change the world. It's the things you do when nobody is looking that will change the world. A hand reaching out to a heart in doubt will change the world. And the smallest spark can light the dark. You remember going to a um, a candlelight service? You know what a candlelight service is? You come in and they turn all the lights off in the building and there's one candle in the front. And that's the light of Jesus. And everybody has a candle and we go around lighting the candle and lighting the candle. That first light is is not very bright, but pretty soon as each candle is lit, it just is a blaze of light, isn't it? And it's so meaningful because that's what God intended for us to do in this world. Light by light, one person at a time. That's how we change the world. It's, you're not going to start a big forest fire, but you're going to just start one candle to the other. And when you light somebody else's candle, you, you, it's not going to diminish the light of your candle. Nothing will diminish that. You'll continue to have more to give and to give and to give. You know, Matthew's motive is telling us, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you giving? Why are you praying? If it's to be seen by men, you've got your reward. We need to be obedient to Christ. We need to do it because God has called us to do it and and do it in secret. Do it so that it's not for the praise of others. And it's not even to get the treasure that he says is coming. He says treasure's coming, right? That's what the scripture says. But we're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because we want to be obedient. We want to do what God has called us to do. We need to be um, Jesus in this world. We need to give like he gives. Here's a story about a a woman who is passing on a cold winter's day and she sees a 10-year-old boy standing outside of a shoe store and and he's sitting there uh, peering through the window and shivering with cold and she asked him, what are you doing? And he looked at her and says, I was just asking God to give me a pair of shoes. 
And so she took him by the hand, took him inside there, asked the proprietor to get six pairs of socks, and then also asked him, could you get a basin of water and a towel for me too? And so she got down on her hands and knees and, and washed the little boy's feet. The guy brought back the socks and he put the socks, she put the socks on her and they fitted him with a brand new pair of shoes and they were warm and they were comfortable and, and, and the boy was just beaming because of what the lady had done. And she said to him, no doubt, my little fellow, you feel more comfortable now. And as he, she turned to go, the lad caught her by the hand and looking up in her face with tears in his eyes, he answered the question with these words, are you God's wife? <laughs> we need to be God's wife. We need to do for others what God wants to do for them. We are his hands and feet. We're, the, we're the, the, the reaching out. We're the hand reaching out. We need to be willing to do what God wants us to do. It's the little things that we do. And sometimes it's the little things that we do that we may not even remember. It may not seem important to us at the time. But, but those little things can be a big difference in somebody's life. There's a man named Paul that when he was a, a boy, they had just gotten a telephone, you know, one of those old ones, wooden telephones with the, 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 the two-part thing. And, and, and it was an amazing, amazing in, uh, invention. His mom would get on the phone and talk to people. And he heard about this one amazing person in the phone. And her name was Information. And you could pick up the phone and say, information, please. And the lady would answer, and she would tell you anything. She knew everybody's phone number. She knew the correct time. And, and it was like a genie in the bottle right there in your hallway. And so one day, he was downstairs at the workbench, and he had his hammer, and he was hammering something. And boom, he hits his thumb. Nobody's home. Mom's gone, everybody's gone, and he's crying, and he, he doesn't know what to do. And he goes up the stairs, and, and, and he looks at the, at the phone, and he goes over there and says, Information, please. I hurt my finger. Isn't your mother home? Nobody's home but me. Are you bleeding? No. I hit my finger with a hammer, and it hurts. Can you open your icebox? chip off a little piece of ice and hold it on your finger, said the voice. After that, Paul called information please for everything. He asked for help with his geography. She told him where Philadelphia was, asked with help with math, told him about his pet chipmunk, you know, what would he eat? And she said, fruit and nuts. And there was a time that their pet canary, Petey, died. And Paul called her and told her he was just heartbroken. His pet canary had died and she listened to him and said the usual things that you would say to a child when, when that's happening. And he said, why is it that birds should sing so beautifully and bring joy to all the families only to end up a heap of feathers at the bottom of a cage? She must have sensed his deep concern and she said quietly, Paul, always remember that there are other worlds to sing in. And that seemed to make him feel better. 
And when he was nine years old, his family moved out from Seattle, moved across country to Boston. And, and there wasn't the wooden box anymore in, in his hallway. It was a brand new phone. And it didn't quite have the same things that, that they, he could remember. But he could remember all of those times that he called information, please. And, and it never really left him. In moments of doubt and perplexity, he could remember that, that call. And a few years later, when he was ready to go to college, he decided to go back to Seattle. And so his sister was living there, and he called his sister up and talked to her on the phone. And, and then she, on a whim, he just kind of said, well, I wonder. Information, please. And miraculously, he heard the small, clear voice that he knew so well. Information. He hadn't planned it. He said, but could you please tell me how to spell fix? Long pause. Then came a soft-spoken answer. I guess your finger must be okay now. <laughs> so it's really you, he said. I wonder if you have any idea of how much you meant to me during that time of hearing you and listening to you. It meant so much to me. And she said, you know what? I wonder if you know how much your calls meant to me. I never had any children. And I used to look so forward to your calls. They were the bright point of her day. Sometimes it's those little things that, that don't seem to mean anything that mean the very most. A few months later, three months later, he came back to Seattle and, and he called information, please. But there is a different voice on the line. And he said, um, are you a friend? She, she asked him. And he said, yes, a very old friend. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but Sally has been working part-time the last few years because she's been sick. She died five weeks ago. And before he could hang up, she said, wait a minute, is this Paul? Yes, it is. Well, Sally left a message for you. She wrote it down just in case you called. Let me read it to you. Tell him I still say there are other worlds to sing in. He'll know what I mean. She went on to be with Jesus. And we can make a difference just by the words we share with one another, just by those good works, just by reaching out to someone that's in need. And we don't need to do it for the applause of, of man, but we do it for God in obedience to his word. That's why we need to do it. Do it in secret. Have the right motivation. The next passage of scripture is in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's talking about the power the words have to bless. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read that together. 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It's the kind words, the simple smile, more than showing up, going the extra mile. It's giving everything when you've got nothing, nothing left, sharing a little hope with a single breath. Therefore, we need to be imitators of God. We need to let every word that come out of our mouth be something that is edifying to someone else, to show the grace of God to someone else. I know there are some times when my mouth doesn't do me good. I say the wrong thing, you know, to somebody at work or somebody uh, in the family, and then I've got to backtrack and, and, and make it up and say I'm sorry. Um, but we need to be able to do the right thing. We need to say the right thing at the right time, giving grace to everyone that we come in contact with. A great example for me has always been my wife. Uh, she is such an encouraging woman. And I know she gets on Facebook and, and uh, emails and, and she encourages people uh, through this new social media thing. And she does a wonderful job doing that. But she's also doing it everywhere she goes. Uh, she's had a lot of health issues. So uh, a lot of the stories have to do with going to the doctor, the ER, the emergent care, all around the country, you know, no matter where we go. We, we always have to go somewhere. But every time she goes, she sees as, as a divine appointment. And she'll be walking into the building. And, you know, there's always a security guard out there. So we're walking and she says, wait a minute. She goes over to the security guard and says, Thank you for your service. Thank you for making us safe here. I really appreciate everything that you've done and keep up the good work. They look at her like, well, well thank you. And, you know, and they walk away. She's encouraging people. We go into the nurse, uh, into the, uh, you know, the, the medical center and the, the nurse is there and she says, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for choosing this as your profession. And you know, she's, she's encouraging them. A uh, lady comes in to empty the trash and she goes over to the lady and says, thank you for emptying the trash. You're doing a great job. This place is spotless and it's really great. It's a, I appreciate that. We go to Disneyland. She's, you know, those people in the white. She's always saying something to the people in the white, telling them what a great job they're doing. But that's encouragement. Those are the little things that we can do. And that's, that's just what, what she does. You know, when we go out to dinner, um, we go to a restaurant and we're ordering from the, um, the waitress and we go all the way around and at the very end, um, usually I try and make me the last one and I, I look at the waiter's or waitress's name and I say, like we were at uh, Polly's Pies the other night and I say, Sherry, we're going to be praying for our food in just a minute because that's what we do. Uh, is there anything we can pray for you for? And invariably, some people say no, but 90% of the, of the waitresses said, yeah, 
And Sherry said, yes, there is. My husband's going in for a procedure tomorrow. He's had this bloody nose for 24 hours and they don't know what's causing it and, and they don't understand where it's, where it's coming from. And so they're going to do a procedure tomorrow, but he's nervous about that. Could you pray for... And I said, well, what's his name? Daryl. So, and then we, we, we ask him to, hey, can you join us in prayer? And so she grabs our hand and says, yeah, I can. So we sit there and we pray for her, for Daryl and for Sherry, and that they have a wonderful time, you know, that, that God would heal him and that God would touch the doctors and the nurses and give them wisdom to find out what it is. And just a real brief thing. And then she goes on her way and, and we eat our meal and, and we have a good time. Now, I tell you this last thing too. If you're going to do that, at the end of the meal, when the bill comes, 20%. All right? Minimum. Because Christians are usually... I mean, I've heard this from other waitresses. and They're not always good tippers. A dollar is not so appreciated anymore. Yes, it is a dollar, but uh, anyway... If you're going to do it, 20%. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need to encourage. And then, have you heard of the, the, the random acts of kindness? There, there was a, a person named Ann Herbert who wrote on a, a little napkin, practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. And the term refers to selfless acts, both large and small, that are committed unexpectedly, without prompting, and with no apparent ulterior motive. There are a myriad of ways to express love for people, and take time to find some that fit your personality. There's a radio show, uh, KSGN, that we listen to a lot, and every Wednesday they have what they call drive-through difference. And the idea is that when you're in your drive-thru and you're getting your cup of coffee, that you pay for the coffee of the person behind you. And then they have a little piece of paper that talks about KSGN and how you can get it on your radio. Or you could just have something about the plan of salvation. And you give it to the person and say, could you give that to them? I'm going to pay for their coffee. And so it's a way to spread the word, spread the Lord, and, and also just a random act of kindness, you know. And, and there, there are plenty of places online you can go and say, you know, what are some 50 random acts of kindness that you can do? A hundred, you know, there's a lot of things that you can look up and find out what's something that God wants you to do. There's something Something that you can do that's not going to put you out of your way too much. Or maybe a little bit, but it'll be worth it in the long run. Uh, compliment the first three people you talk to. Send a positive text message to five different people right now. Post inspirational sticky notes around your neighborhood, office, school, etc. You know, just put them up randomly. Uh, tell somebody they dropped a dollar, even though they didn't, and then give them a dollar. Have a car wash for a dollar. And have people come in and then pay them a dollar. Great idea. great idea, yeah? Yeah, what a great idea. Donate old towels or blankets to an animal shelter. Say hi to the, next per the person next to you in the elevator. Hi, how are you? There. Leave a gas gift card at the gas pump. Throw a party to celebrate someone just for being who they are. It's awesome. 
Leave quarters at the laundromat. Uh, leave unused coupons next to corresponding products in the grocery store. You ever done that? Yeah, you got, you got those things and maybe you don't want it. Just put it there next to it. Somebody else will pick it up. Anyway, I could go on and on, but you, you can look it up for yourself. In fact, it's better if you look it up for yourself because you need to find what God is telling you to be able to do. Amen? You've got to do it. Um, <clears throat> there was, um, you remember uh, Richard Nixon? Um, Richard Nixon kind of disgraced the office of president, didn't he? And, and uh, the United States in the, in the form of the world. But he, he was ostracized uh, by everybody in politics after that. And uh, nobody really wanted to uh, give him the time of day. But at Hubert Humphrey's funeral, um, he came to that. And at the, as dignitaries came from all over the country, uh, all over the world, they turned their eyes away. Conversations ran dry around him. And Nixon could feel the ostracism being ladled out to him. And then Jimmy Carter, the setting president, the serving U.S. president, walked into the room. He was from a different party. He was well known for his honesty and his integrity. He moved uh, to his seat. As he moved to his seat, he saw Nixon standing over in the corner and he went over to them and shook out, put out his hand, smiled genuinely and said, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. And the incident was reported by Newsweek magazine, which wrote, if there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion. Carter gifted Nixon with love and compassion. Nixon had done nothing to deserve it. It was an act of pure grace on Carter's part. When the Bible speaks of God's blessing, it speaks in exactly, exactly the same way. Blessing is never a reward for good behavior. It's a gift of pure, unadulterated grace. Every time you meet an opportunity and a divine appointment, that's a time when you can share God's grace with the people that God has brought into your life. You can be a world changer. And then the last passage of Scripture comes from James chapter 2. And it's, it just basically says, works show your faith. James chapter 2, starting in verse four, 14. What use is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. We need to do something to show our faith. Works and faith are tied together. And that's what this passage is talking about. Robert Schuller used to say, find a need and fill it. There are needs all over. There are places that we need to give. There are places that need our time. There are people that need our words. We need to find what God has for us. And he chooses the most unlikely people, doesn't he? 
ordinary people that are willing to go against the grain. You and me. God is choosing us to share His love with the world. And He's been doing that from the very beginning. Back in uh, the year 251, there's a plague that hit the Greco-Roman world. And uh, memories came up of, of a, um, a previous plague that happened 100 years ago. And two-thirds of the population uh, had been killed. And so people that could left the city. People that could got away from where the infection was. But the Christians did something different. The Christians, they started bringing people into their houses and they started tending them with, you know, basically, uh, you know, nursing skills. They, they nursed them back to health. And people, the sick and the dying, were touched by the love of the Christians. And in the early church, a, a book by Henry Chadwick, he says, the practical application of charity was probably the most potent single cause of Christian success. The pagan comment, see how these Christians love one another, reported by Tertullian, was not irony. Christian charity expressed itself in care for the poor, for widows and orphans, in visits to brethren in prison or condemned to the living death of labor in the mines, and social action in time of calamity like famine, earthquake, pestilence, or war. The early church believers were world changers. They were willing to go against the grain and do things. You know, hospitals, schools, those kinds of things were brought about by Christian men and women following through on what God had called them to do, to put their faith to work, to do something about what, where, what was happening in their world. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1930s was a, a, a theologian at the German um, the, Theological Institute and um, Hitler was coming into power during the 1930s and the German church started uh, saying the Jews could not be part of it, of the church. They allied themselves with Hitler's Third Reich vision. And Bonhoeffer was faced with a choice. You know, could, should he stay with the church that was going along with Hitler's plans? Or should he go against that? And... Um, in 1937, he was sacked. He was fired from the university for what he said. He fleed. He went to England. And in England, he was given the opportunity to teach in Princeton at, a theologic, at the theology school in Princeton or go back to Germany and preach in an illegal seminary that was being started up in the church. What did he choose to do? He went back to Germany. He went back to Germany. He decides that his faith is meaningless if he takes the easy option. And he heads back to Germany and he finds Hitler so evil that he abandons his commitment to nonviolence and he gets involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. The plot fails and in 1943, Bonhoeffer is arrested and goes to prison. And in prison, he leads worship services for his fellow prisoners until April 9th, 1945. Just a few days before the war was over, he's executed for his crimes against the German people by the Nazis. 
And all through this, what distressed Bonhoeffer was the, may, the way that so many Christians could sell out to Hitler's evil vision. How could people who owned the name of Christ so betray Christ? How could they pray in a church which banned church Jews from holding office? It convinced him that religiosity in and of itself was worthless. It didn't matter how fervently a person believed in Jesus or how many times a day they prayed, how earnestly and sincerely they sang hymns on Sundays. In the end, the measure of spirituality is not how we are in the church, but how we are in the whole of life. In the end, the measure of spirituality is to live in the world as a man or a woman who is for others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a world changer. We need to, to do that in our own lives. We need to be willing to stand up against evil. We need to be willing to, to do the right thing in every situation. And finally, one other couple of people I heard about on the radio. Um, um, K-Love, another radio station that I listened to. Um, Mel and Bernardo. Have you heard of them? No, I didn't think so. Anyway, over the last 16 years, Bernardo Jaramillo and Mel Ortega have ensured that any veterans who live in the smaller communities in New Mexico can be transported to the VA Medical Hospital in Albuquerque. The two men have spent 15,000 hours shuttling disabled veterans for medical treatment. Uh, they belong to a group called Disabled Veterans Association. It's a nonprofit that helps ex-military members uh, and their families to apply for benefits. Har um, Ortega is 85 years old, and he's driven 200,000 miles in those years, taking people to the, the hospital. And Jaramillo has driven 100,000 miles. They love to do it because they make new friends while they're driving people to the hospital. And then when they get to the hospital, they get to meet their old friends that they met on the way before. They're looking for another driver. Maybe you could do that. So if you're moving to New Mexico, look that up. But maybe there's a way you can do that here too. I don't know. God may have a way for you to do something. And in fact, that's, that's the way I want to close my, my time. There's a song by Matthew West, and the name of the song is Do Something. And in the first few lines it says, I woke up this morning, I saw a world of trouble now, thought how did it ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven and I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist in heaven and I said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. And that's what God wants to do. God uses ordinary people willing to be strong and courageous, going against the grain, doing whatever God leads them to do. And I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning will give you what you can do to be a world changer, loving God, loving people, and changing the world. 
Let's listen to this song and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And then we'll pray. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah. I created. If not now, then when? 
It's time for us to do something. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you've called us to be world changers, Lord. Ordinary people that go against the grain, Lord. And help us to, to listen to your voice, Father, to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. And to find that thing that you want us to do, Lord. And then faithfully do it, Lord, to be obedient to you. And, uh, and bring grace and mercy and love to the world that we find ourselves in, Father. And now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And everyone said,